You are listening to the Life Tonic Podcast, your resource for intentional living and personal growth. This podcast is designed to inspire and motivate you to be your most glowingly brilliant self. I am your host, Joanna O, and I'm grateful for you tuning in today. people who are like me they're feminists and they have accomplished so much in their professional lives just by sheer virtue of like who they are and their badassery and then when it comes to like talking about dating they're like I really like this boy I want to ask him out they're like children like we revert to our (laughs) like our like little girl selves because we haven't nurtured that part of us or applied the skills that we learned in other areas of our lives to be successful to our dating lives. Cause that seems wrong, right? We were like, Oh, it should be natural. It should be, it should flow, you know? And, um, it's just not like that. Like there is a lot of thought and attention and research and learning about yourself and how you want to be versus like how you want to be treated and, you know, when you meet someone, can you assess those things? Can you f- use all of your senses, not just, you know, asking them 20 million questions, but use all of your senses to see, is this a person who can help me on my journey of growth? You know, um, I think we have to start working on reconceptualizing why we want partnership, too. So there's like a young version of ourselves If you think back, you know, 10, 15 years about like why you wanted a partner, hopefully that's different now. And hopefully there's a maturity to the reasons behind why you're looking for partnership. And then when you recognize that, then you can start to ask for that. Like that's the super important and hard part of this arc is that you have to ask for it in order for it to come into your life it's so true I mean you just kind of took me back mentally for a second thinking back to who I was Uh because and also this is going to be my next question but I'm just thinking back to maybe you know I'm in my late 20s now which I can't wait to get older for all the reasons you listed by the way (laughs) (laughs) I can I can tell I'm just excited (laughs) going back you know maybe I don't know like five years ago or you know I my first serious relationship was when I was when I was 18 and I, I didn't know anything at 18 like what could I have possibly known but I was so excited and I sort of because I'm a person who really gives like really really unconditionally loves and it's like a hundred percent of me is in, invested in that relationship I never got out of that circle so I was just from relationship to relationship to some degree like back to back without ever realizing and pausing like am I what is the motivation here why am I doing this and it took a journey of being alone (laughs) to actually and I think that's for a lot of people Mm -hmm. to really understand where is it that partnership fits into all that and how what do I see it as and what does it look like Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for some people, it does take being on your own. For me, it did. I needed to be separate and individuated. And I love how you said, like, how could you have known? You know, I think also with age comes some compassion towards your younger self of like, you know, you don't look back and go like, what an idiot I was, but you go, I was just a baby. I didn't know, (laughs) you know, I was just like a tender little baby who was learning and having experiences and gathering data and that's okay, you know? And for me, I needed to be, to live alone and have that experience and even go abroad and like be completely separated from, you know, what I knew and, and the family structures that I had and friends and all of that to sort of go, Ooh, Oh, okay. There's some new things that I have learned about myself and like how strong I am. And why did I put up with that? If I'm this strong, <laughs> you know, um, it's like could, the recurring question, <laughs> right? You know, and then you go back to your life and you start to build new relationships on that stronger foundation of self and the stronger your foundation of self is the more enriching the relationships around you become as well because you're like this is me I'm no other way I'm flawed but I'm also pretty awesome who are you (laughs) you know and there's like a curiosity instead of a like oh I need to be with this person oh we're like meant to be and you know, I can't see my life without them. The drama and the excitement that is a magical, wonderful place to be in your 20s and 30s for some people too, but like maybe not the best for like building on that foundation of self and like expanding it to include partnership. Um, yeah, it's it's really funny. I My little <laughs> self, I just look back and send her so much love. <laughs> You have to. Bless. Yes. <laughs> how yes. could you have known? <laughs> you had no idea. But also how, but maybe it works for, for some people, you know, like everyone, again, is different and has a different experience of romantic relationships. And maybe that ties back to how their upbringing was and what sort of family values they were taught, how they experienced family and love and intimacy, etc. But there's almost this, like, expectation that intimacy looks like this, a thousand miles away from a reality of modern-day dating. I'm sort of thinking of that now because you touched on hookup culture, and I cannot not talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Is it true that millennials are the least sexually active generation? Numbers-wise, yes. Um, And... I'll tell you why. I mean, there's a lot of different data to support this. Um, You know, a lot of um, like national health institutes uh, will track like pregnancy rates um, and they'll also like gather data about like how much sex people are having. Historically, what we've seen is that people are waiting longer to partner, right? So now we're talking like mid to late 30s into 40s as opposed to a few decades ago when it was more expected that you would be settling down in your 20s. Um, So you're college educated, you found your partner, maybe you even met at school, and now you're starting a life together. 
Um, we're just not seeing that. And that's been pretty a consistent trend. And I love it. Like the New York times, um, posted about like the fact that people in partnership have more sex. Why? Because your resource, (laughs) your outlet is just like there, you know, like you might not have sex every day, but you're, you're like guaranteed to have sex sometimes. Whereas single people, it takes a little bit more work. I know how people are like, you can just order up sex and it's delivered to your door like pizza these days. But it's not really like that, as probably many of your listeners know. Um, Yeah, I guess it could be. But usually it's like sifting through a million people and like matching and then having one weird conversation and being like, no, next. And then you know, there's a lot of energy that goes into online dating. And we know that people aren't necessarily meeting as much in real life for partnerships. So that's really like where everything's happening is in these online spaces. And so it's, it makes sense. Like people are more interested in having sex function as like, oh, I really, you know, it's, been a little while I should probably have sex let me go on tinder you know um and that's a different perspective from people who are like oh like now that my career is underway and I feel a little bit more grounded um partnership is like the next logical thing that I should be focusing on I think people are putting their professional and career development first and for longer periods of time And the partnership part is almost like an afterthought because a lot of the sexual needs are just getting met by people who are like random fuck buddies or, you know, like people that you kind of just have on the back burner. Um, And I, you know, like I said, I hate to place a values judgment on that. I, I think like whatever works for the people who are involved, like if that is a mutually agreeable arrangement for both parties then great you know um but that is sort of the like behind the numbers explanation for why it appears that millennials to date are having less sex than previous generations i get it it makes sense but also it's so true that it's almost like we're so serviced in so many ways by like <laughs> everything's just convenient yeah. and why shouldn't you know relationships be why shouldn't intimacy be something that's just an accessory to an already thriving person um and it's kind of scary do you think do you think that's what do you think about that is it well, alienating people it's really hard to say i mean so I studied abroad in Amsterdam before I had a phone that could text. Like I, I knew people <laughs> who texted in my classes, but like, it was like this one Australian girl and she's always like texting her girlfriend back home. And I was like, in, like in class and I was just so annoyed, but like I grew up going out to bars to meet people, you know, and like going out to be like, Ooh, I wonder like, who's going to be there and like, mm. and like, <laughs> what am I, you know, and I'm not saying that people don't do that now, but I feel like it was very much like part of my upbringing and culture to be like out on the prowl. 
And I valued that part of my sexual development as well. And it led me to some really like amazing guys actually. Um, and so I'm not saying that that's not work, but it's different. It's a different type of work. Um, but you're right. There is this maybe more of an expectation of being serviced so that like now when I'm out at my friend's wine bar, for instance, which is a really sexy place, like people have first dates there all the time. And sometimes you'll like happen to look over and like, there's just like two or three couples just making out wildly. <laughs> Um, but most of the time, if they're not there on a date that has been prearranged, they're just drinking wine and looking at their phone and I'm partnered. And so, you know, it doesn't really mean anything to me, but as my, you know, psychological, sociological brain is kicking in, I'm like, why aren't you all talking to each other? And you're all like good looking people and you're here in this beautiful place. And there's like sexual energy all around you. And like, why aren't we capitalizing on that more? And I think that what that comes down to is like people have not flexed that muscle as much. You know, for me, it was like every weekend um, I'm going out and I'm like batting my eyelashes and sort of being like, oh, is that, is he giving me a thing? Like, oh no, that guy over over there is going to be more like, he's giving me more of a vibe. Like I got to practice that. Um, but I think now it's so easy to be out and engulfed in something else, which is, you know, not human, uh, which is a device that you're not really trained to pick up on who's interested in you. So, you know, it's some of it, some it's a different of it, focus. Yeah. And some people like think of it as like an escape, um, from reality, uh, and that creates a barrier. Uh, I'm not sure. Some sometimes I think it's nervousness. You don't know what to do, so you're just on your phone. Um, but I would love for people to to practice like going out and just leaving the phone completely in your purse or your pocket, and just yeah. see what you can pick up on in real world interactions. It's crazy. We, I mean, but again, I think it's almost kind of denormalized also yeah. eye contact and people like I don't know if it's so much in the US but like yeah probably I've seen it in New York I've seen it in Boston but London you're on the tube and you just don't look at people and I've right. seen I've seen it with my own eyes I've seen people like staring at each other a guy and a girl across the train carriage and they have a connection and they go and talk to each other but that's probably like been twice in my entire experience of living in this city mm-hmm. but it's just not acceptable or even at bars it's just that you know oh why would I you know why would I risk being rejected if I could just go on whatever that app was that shows you people nearby mm-hmm. right. hope that person is there fingers crossed and then match with them and then that gives you the permission to approach yeah I mean in some cases, I think people are overly cautious because so much has come out about like the absolute wrong ways to go about courtship, meaning use of force, coercion, manipulation, sometimes party drugs. Like all of this stuff is like the reality of 
people's dating histories, you know, and um, I'm fortunate to not have had any like physical assault, sexual assault in my history. Um, have I had some weird ass situations? Yes. Some less than consensual situations? Yes. Um, so I think like there's even that additional layer to interacting more like fluidly in, in real life spaces because of like, I don't know this person. What could they do to me? You know, I think there's some of that. Um, there's so much to navigate. There's a lot yeah. to navigate. You're I don't so, envy. You're so right. <laughs> I don't envy current daters, and I am super excited to be a resource for them. Like, I think this is because I've been out there and have experience in the pre-app world, like actually going out mm-hmm. and trying to date. And, you know, in grad school and in part of my time back in California, a um, pretty active, like, apps dating life. Like, I know what goes on. I, I, you know, like, I've had my experiences. I understand. There are pros and cons to, to both things. And, you know, I think we're all trying to do our best. But um, I, I really again, would just like encourage people to try to try to give yourself like one device per day, even just to go through the world where you're not, you're like letting yourself take in the energies around you because, um, it's good practice for relating. Yeah. It's awareness as well. I mean, my, I'm pretty good and we've sort of tried to instill this thing where, okay, well, try to limit that intake, right? It's crazy that you have to do that now, but you have to set that boundary. Like, I'm not going to look at my phone 30 minutes before bed because it really disrupts. And we're constantly, constantly fed information from so many different outlets, platforms. It's just literally sensory overload. But do you find that sort of that constant feed of information and daily you know add to that daily life stress and hustle culture which I guess goes hand in hand to some degree with hookup culture and turbulent times I mean we live in Mm. what a time to be alive I mean just today look at what's happening today in the world yeah how does Um, that affect people's sex lives it drastically affects people's sex lives I know that for me like since um, COVID-19, like my, my inbox is less active, you know, people's priorities are not on, you know, developing their, their sex lives as much, although they should be, (laughs) but, but yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a scary time for a lot of people and anxiety and stress are massive desire killers. Um, so I know that for me, I saw an uptick in work right after the U.S.'s election of Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, people were were anxious. They were confused. A lot of women were having responses to their male partners that their male partners did not understand. Whole scripts had been flipped at that time in relationships, and a lot of people ended relationships. So. 
um, the things that we experience out in the world do impact our ability to access sexual energy. I'm not someone who's like, you know, if you don't tend to this, it'll go away forever. It's true that sexual energy does have kind of a use it or lose it component, but not completely. It's always there. It's always like kind of running under the surface, but it's not an, a necessary drive. People say that it's a sex drive, but it's really a secondary drive. It's not primary. So we can live our whole lives without having sex. That's not a problem, right? Um, but if we allow for stress to overtake our lives and suppress that energy, it will be harder to access later. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you have like a major period of time where like maybe work is really stressful or back in school you had to like do three finals and a presentation, like those really hard, stressful times, usually for most people, this is not like um, across the board, but for most people that inhibits sexual desire. And then when all that stuff's done, um, it's still kind of hard to want to shift out of that mindset and to do the fun thing that your friends want to do to celebrate. Like you might actually need a day or two to rest, to relax, to kind of like get back to a baseline level of stress. And then, then you can start to actually de-stress <laughs> by going out, by spending time with your partner or friends and, you know, there's usually that kind of natural dip where stress, the stress cycle has to like complete itself. Um, some people really enjoy having sex while they're stressed out. It's a stress reliever. Um, mm -hmm. And so they rely upon that as like a way to sort of break that energy up to complete the stress cycle as it's happening and to kind of work through it. Um, so, yeah, it, it the things that we experience as sensory beings out in the world impact whether or not we feel like we want to have sex. And, you know, much to the chagrin of our partner, sometimes um, our personal stress, may it be, you know, something that seems small to them, it could feel really big to us, is going to determine whether or not we want to have sex with them that night. So, yeah, so it's real. A lot of factors that play into it, yeah. It's crazy. I'm just sort of thinking about, you know, I said my 18-year-old self, but I've got a, a actually close to 18-year-old sister. So we mm -hmm. have a big gap in between. And it's almost like I see the gaps maybe of education that I didn't get from my parents. Like maybe my mom, my mom, for instance, has always been really, really liberal, you know, and it's always been kind of an open discussion. But still there's so many things that I didn't learn at home from from her or from both parents as a matter of fact and now I'm just like looking at my little sister and thinking mm. she's going into this world and they still show sex like this in movies like I, how is this even real you know what can I do to right. sort of soften the blow and just address that but I don't even know how children learn about sex nowadays I mean has it changed at all yeah I mean now everybody has like a mobile 
porn machine in their hand at any given time. You know, it's like, yeah, there's certain amounts of restrictions that you can place on kids' phones and, and computers, but they can access it through their friends who don't have restrictive parents <laughs> or whatever. Like it's, it's definitely more readily accessible to access pornography, to access things that give us the impression that sex is this sort of like, you know, real easy, like you don't even have to communicate about it. Like you mentioned watching movies where it's like, Oh my God, that's not real sex. Like, no, it's not. And I think like, one thing that we can do to uh, help our, you know, like friends, family members who are coming up now to understand that is I love the, also the, the sex ed adage of like learning about sex through the media and pornography is like learning how to drive by was- watching NASCAR or the Fast mm-hmm. and the Furious. You know, mm-hmm. these are, these are trained actors they're providing entertainment for us and it's very specific and they have rehearsed and agreed to many different things before the camera even starts rolling. So it's really impossible for us to get a general idea of what real world sex is without seeing it. And most people don't know where to see it, but I will tell you, um, the resource oh that I love is Make Love Not Porn, um, okay. which was founded by Cindy Gallup. And it's basically a social platform for sharing sex videos. So these are real people. Um, there are stipulations in how you can upload the videos. Like you can't use any of the common tropes of pornography. Um, it needs to look like a regular person filmed themselves having sex. So what you'll see there that you won't necessarily see in pornography unless you're looking for it is people with regular bodies, you know, people who don't have, you know, four days a week to go, you know, keep themselves trim in the gym. Um, You're going to see people fondling, like fumbling with lube and condoms. That's also not something that you really see in pornography. Um, You're going to see people laughing and making jokes and just being silly. And that's a part of sexuality that I think is, is missing as well from pornography and from movies, you know, Um, you'll see maybe someone lose an erection and have to masturbate to get that back and be part of, you know, like it's real, that's real sex. And interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll link that in the show notes. It's a great recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. But um, I guess to go back to you and what you do and the amazing work that you do, by the way, because it's not easy. It's not light. (laughs) Like it's not, I think people probably just think of therapists as like, like you said earlier, just sitting on like an armchair and just listening to people chat. But it's so much... I guess, not analysis, but having to sort of put yourself in that person's situation, no judgment as well, mm-hmm. which we're so conditioned to judge and think about, you know, sex and sexuality and gender. It's so easy to judge. We judge all the time. Right. So I want to know about 
your you do one-on-ones as well mm-hmm. you provide online courses or I guess can people contact you online for people who are you know say in Europe absolutely yeah I have clients all over the world which also is one of the benefits of being a coach versus a therapist because therapists usually have to restrict um, their practices to um, states that they're licensed in. So for instance, my therapist couldn't see someone in Texas and couldn't see anybody abroad. Um, But coaches don't have that. So I see people via Skype, um, Google Hangouts, sometimes FaceTime. And um, yeah, it works Similarly to seeing people in my office in San Francisco, you know, we talk for about an hour. Um, Every client that I see has to complete a sexual history and assessment. So that's really where the work begins is looking back a little bit on what brought you to this point. And, you know, then that's a jumping off point for us building a a coach and coachee relationship is sort of understanding what brought you to the work and what you want to accomplish. Um, Right now I see clients for three months and six months. So I like to think of myself as like your project manager for your sex life. (laughs) (laughs) You sign up to have me sort of like keep you on track and give you these assignments along the way to help you get closer to your goal. Most fun assignments you'll probably ever get. <laughs> They're pretty fun. I, I often assign people to masturbate, so. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> okay, and what is next for Down For Whatever? By the way, I will also link Down For Whatever in the show notes because I strongly, strongly recommend, even though you've just finished season five, right? Your series yeah. five. I strongly recommend to go back and actually listen to old stuff. I love doing that, by the way, because I find so few podcasts that kind of click with me that I have the patience to listen to. Mm. But you have so many interesting topics that I think I went all the way back to like 2014, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Which is amazing. And just, again, such a different angle and different perspective and to kind of travel back in time. So what's next for that? Are you going to continue Yeah, so season five was sort of the culmination of a lot of things for me. Um, And I decided that it would be the final season of the podcast. Um, I have some other things that I'm working on um, that are like in production right now. So I'm being a little bit hush-hush about them because we don't have like a release date to kind of tease. But um, I am working on a new podcast. And I really encourage people to listen to season five of Down for Whatever, because for me, it felt like if I could contribute anything to the conversation about sexuality, that season felt the most important because I got to interview people about their experiences with sexual assault who had gone on pretty significant and and relevatory journeys to work with their traumas and to heal from them. And I think that's sometimes a part of our conversation about um, abuse and sexual assault that we don't tackle. So I wanted to provide resources for people to hear either their own stories being reflected back at them, like, oh, I had that happen to me, and now I'm kind of through that, and I'm in this new phase of my healing. Or to know if they're at the very beginning of their journey that there are things they can do 
to ease the healing process along the way. That's amazing. That's really such an integral part of the work because, yeah, we can think of human sexuality as just sexy stuff. There's so much more to it that is tied so closely to identity and experience and sometimes or oftentimes traumatic experience. Um, So definitely we'll link down for whatever and people can just go back in time or listen to season five or just explore their leisure I guess yeah thank you I appreciate that and then I will let you know when I'm around and maybe I talk in. sounds great and then the all bodies um like I said you'll be teaching two classes one is already that's next week already yes Sunday so the online course on vagina orgasm on March 15th and March 24th is penis orgasms and that's on allbodies.com which I'll also link and you can take the class and I guess then access the resource um, after as well mm-hmm. which is amazing and I have one last question because I recently read about this mm. but what and is it right to say that you're, because we always refer to vagina as vagina, right? Like <laughs> something's wrong with my vagina, but actually it's not just the vagina. It's actually a vulva, which is just so unappealing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so is it right to say, I would say that the more medically accurate term for the external part of female genitalia is vulva. When we're talking specifically about uh, the internal structure where penetration occurs, that is your vagina. It's also the um, the area where you know childbirth, your baby will pass through your vaginal cavity. Um, so yeah, that, that those are the medically accurate terms. So if you're talking to someone about something that's happening on the outside of your, what we would say, vagina. <laughs> yeah. Um, you actually want to use the term vulva. So like, no, my vulva really itches today. Um, <laughs> or <laughs> no. if you want to be specific, my labia really itches today. Something like that. That's a bit <laughs> more digestible. <laughs> but I don't. I mean, I don't see vulva being an unsexy word but I think it you know you have to have to really work at making it sexy yeah it's, it's, you can still yeah. say vagina it's fine but just know like, under you're the vagina umbrella <laughs> yes right awesome well thank you so much for coming on the life tonic podcast my um, pleasure thank you for your time and I will link all of that in the show notes so make sure everyone to check that and check all these amazing resources that you recommended thank you so much Joanna and for those of you who want to check out my work it's myeshabattle.com I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at myeshabattle and uh, I do a Q&A on Instagram a couple times a month. So you can always pop a question into that and uh, I will answer it. That's fun. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>
Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I invite you to follow the Lifetonic podcast on Instagram. I'll be launching a first series of downloadable workbooks, some vision board worksheets, more exciting freebies as well to support the community of amazing listeners that I have grown to date. All want to continue bettering themselves and being their most authentic self. So that's it for me. Till next time, lots of love.